This is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spark My Muse. Today, my guest is Jonathan Puddle. He is a writer, a husband, a father, and a speaker who also has a podcast called The Podcast. And today we will be going over his book, You Are Enough, Learning to Love Yourself the Way God Loves You, A 30-Day Journey. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for being on my program. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Lisa. This is so great to connect. As I was reading your book, and I mentioned this before we started recording, but it is definitely not the kind of book you want to read like I wind up reading some of my books as I prepare for my program and just devouring them. (laughs) (laughs) This is not the kind of book that you read like that. And maybe you can explain a little bit why your book is different. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember when this was. I think it was for Lent. I turned these readings into an an email series and I was still editing the material. And so partly for me, it was a way to get some more beta reading. And I was like hurriedly trying to edit these things and whip them into emails and send them out every day. It was really hard, even reading my own writing. I'm like, oh, man, this goes deep. I cannot do this quickly. <laughs> so I, I get that. This whole thing came out of a journey that, that God took me on, where the, the invitation really seemed to be to learn to love myself, to learn to become responsible for some of the love need in my own life. And very quickly, that manifested in the, in the form of learning about my emotions, feeling the pain and the events in my life, getting in touch with trauma, and learning to move through life more gently. I did have a framework already for the contemplative life and for that kind of like silent prayer and so on. And everything began to sort of connect in my head. And uh, so, yeah, the output here I present it like a devotional, but it is definitely a lot deeper than perhaps your standard morning coffee Christian devotional that maybe, you know, sort of props you up, gets you excited for the day and sends you off into the world. This is a lot more like, let's ask God to come into the most sacred and scared places of our heart so that we can call ourselves beautiful. Mm. (laughs) How's that? (laughs) That's beautiful. Yeah, I actually noticed some things in the book that that I wrote about in my own book that's coming out in the spring. And I thought, oh my goodness, were you reading over my shoulder? Because some of the landscape metaphors and some of the, the frightened places and things you write about, about fears and healing and being okay, feeling your feelings and being embodied to find healing are present in my book too. And I thought this has got to be a bigger, it's bigger than us. The spirit's moving. Amen. Knowing that we have to find wholeness, not by thinking our way through it, but by healing fully, allowing the spirit to do that work, but coming back to ourselves or our whole organism of ourselves. So I was delighted to see that because I, that's like the fourth time I've seen something from writers that I haven't seen their work. And then I've already written mine and, and thought, well, that's, that's good because it's, it's like in the air. 
the ether somewhere and people are picking up. Absolutely. There is a gap here about healing and, and how we've thought about that it must involve something beyond language and reasoning to these deeper wordless parts of ourselves. And one of the things there's kind of a lot of confusion about that I would love you to speak to is the idea of loving ourselves. It seems like people are on one side or the other. They either have a little too much regard for themselves in the sense that they don't see that they're doing much wrong or they're a little bit beating up themselves all the time. Uh, And it seems like we have these extremes that we do. For the people who say, oh, I don't have a problem loving myself or nobody does because we already have too much regard and that's part of the problem. Maybe you can explain what is it that's different about what you mean by loving ourselves? Yeah, it's a really valid question and problem, especially when, you know, in in the culture, there is this significant movement towards self-love and compassionate mindfulness, some of which is, I think is really helpful and some of which maybe mm-hmm. we need to be gentle and just sensitive or discerning with, shall we say. I think as Christians and spiritual people, we so often end up in the ditches on either side, right? And it's either uh, we go too far or we don't dream high enough and we maintain a tiny broken existence. Mm -hmm. So when I sit down with people, if they say to me, you know, why do I need to love myself? Or I've got a few friends who've already admitted to me, you know, I really didn't like the title of your book. But when I began to listen to your story and I heard how you interpreted scripture to mean love your neighbor instead of yourself. And I realized, oh, yeah, that's true. I definitely read like love your neighbor and hate yourself. Mm. But that's not those weren't Jesus's words. You know, and when we when we stumble across, you know, these really kind of like subversive scriptures like no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. Ephesians 5.29. I'm like, oh man, Paul, I don't know who you're talking to because I think a lot of us hate our own bodies. Hmm. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a white, slim male. Like, I don't have many body issues in the wider culture, right? Like, I've never had to think about my body until very recently. Mm-hmm. And so I think that how do I say? I, th- I think a part of it, a big part of it too, comes from our, our misunderstandings of love. Mm. That we are so taken up with love as emotional good feelings mm. that we've really, I guess, missed this really costly uh, representation of love from Jesus, right on the cross. Like, uh, you know, greater love ha- has no man than this. I lay down my life for my friends. To really love your neighbor requires you to lay down your life for them, to place them above yourself. Now, to turn that towards yourself and love yourself, I understand that that seems weird. How do you selflessly love yourself? I usually start by talking to people about their self-talk. How do you talk to yourself? Do you uh, run yourself down? Do you treat yourself with grace and compassion when you make a mistake? If you wake up one morning and and just don't have it in you that day to push through the day, do you force yourself anyway? Or do you listen to your body and maybe 
give your whole being a rest if that's what you need. And so people will start to be like, okay, yeah, I guess maybe I could slow down. I guess maybe there's some things in there. But usually it lands for people when I ask them, what do you think Jesus's self-talk was like? Mm. And I say, how do you think Jesus's self-talk differs from your own? Can you imagine Jesus permitting any other voice in his head than the voice that calls him the beloved? Mm. I can't imagine it. Obviously, I'm not there, but I can't imagine it. And so I think the invitation is for us to absorb that deeply into us. Because at the end of the day, what I need to do to love myself is often not what comes naturally to me. It's not the selfish things, right? It's not eating a bag of chips and watching Netflix all night because I'm going to actually feel sick and gross after that. I'm going to know that actually I kind of, I kind of dishonored my, my flesh a little bit. That's not to say there aren't times where we, it's fine to binge and relax, but sometimes loving myself well actually means going to bed on time. Sometimes it means putting real limits around using social media. Sometimes it means getting outside and doing exercise. And these are, just, these are just simple, practical ways. There's a lot more spiritual connotation, though obviously even to say that sounds like there's a difference between the two, and I do reject that <laughs> dichotomy. Mm-hmm. I think really we have, a, we have a flawed understanding of love, mm-hmm. and we haven't dared believe that we are worth owning that we are God's beloved. That's a really potent point. Drawing back to what you said about what would Jesus' self-talk be, I don't know that it makes it to our understanding a lot of times because we don't see often, I'll speak for myself, but also I know a lot of people this way, is that we don't often enough see Jesus' humanity. We've so worshipped Jesus as God that we don't see that Jesus can be our example in the flesh because we don't think that he suffered in the flesh, which of course he did or he wouldn't have died, right? Right. It's interesting because as you say, how would have Jesus spoken to himself? A lot of times we find a sense of righteousness in belittling ourselves, in criticizing ourselves, in scolding ourselves to be better, to be totally better behaved, to be good or to be more righteous. And we find a kind of righteousness creating an enemy within ourselves in a sense, instead of befriending ourselves. I think that's such an excellent point as a starting place to begin the book because, or any work of healing is you can't be against yourself and expect to be healed and made whole. No, you you can't. And and we've all tried it, right? (laughs) We've tried you know, Ondi Kolber wrote my forward, and she's such a gift to us and has written a beautiful book herself, Try Softer. And, you know, she says, you can't white knuckle your way to healing. Mm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, that's true. I mean, <laughs> so far, I mean, maybe next time it'll work. But so far, it has turned up zero my entire life. Mm. I, I, and I do think uh, that there is this spectrum of how we view Jesus. I think you know, we can start at one point with just the Savior, that he's the, he is the one who has, who has freed us and delivered us. And that's certainly true. And then we can kind of grow our, our picture and we see Jesus as, as the fullness of God 
that all of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And we see Jesus shows us exactly what God is like and has always been like. But I think for me, another whole level was to actually see Jesus as human, that Jesus not only shows us what God is like, but Jesus shows us what humanity can be like. Mm-hmm. Which is partly why I, I started so early with this discussion of Jesus's humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's just, I can't get away from this idea that God saw fit to be nurtured for nine months by a human woman's placenta. Mm-hmm. And that after being born out of a human woman's vagina, God in the flesh walked around on earth for 30 years and pooed and peed and ate food mm-hmm. and hung out with his friends and also defeated the powers of sin and death. I think uh, we've got to spend more time meditating on those things. This is a good time to bring up that you're available in your podcast. And how often do you do that? Uh, tell listeners about what you do on your podcast. So I interview folks uh, similar to this and, and to what you do, Lisa. I do much less of the, of the sort of sharing my own thoughts on things. I, I would want to do more, actually. I like, I like sort of how you do the kind of back and forth approach. Mostly it's an interview show and it's a lot of authors and people with new books coming out and so on. But I just love meeting people. And so my whole thing on the show really is to try and have a real kind of behind the scenes conversation and actually talk about life. One of the most pivotal favorite conversations for me early on when I think it was only my sixth or seventh interview, I landed an interview with Priscilla Shirer and I was so excited and she was promoting I Can Only Imagine or or one of these Christian movies that she was in. And they only gave me 20 minutes for the interview. And I had a bunch of stock questions. (laughs) Exactly. I had all these stock questions that I was supposed to ask. And so I got a couple of them out of the way. And then I said, Priscilla, would you mind if I asked you something completely unrelated? And she said, sure. And that was just a few weeks after Black Panther had been out in theaters. And I had seen her Instagram and her talking about taking her black sons to see that film and how impactful it was for them. Mm. And, And I said, Priscilla, I'm a white guy who's so used to seeing white people in movies. Can you help us understand why that was so meaningful? And suddenly we had this completely different conversation that went down a whole bunch of levels. Those are my favorite conversations. So that's what I try and do on, on the podcast. That's the beautiful part about this format of, if you want to call it media or, or whatever, that it can be long form. It can go off into new directions. And especially if there's no gatekeepers, we can just podcast as complete nobodies. Totally. Whoever wants to decide to come on, they could just they could just take their chances with us and we can get to some meaty things that, that really isn't possible in other ways. It's not possible for me to have a internationally distributed television show or something. But this way, a lot of wonderful material and resources and conversations can happen. And I'm kind of like you. I, I really enjoy connecting in conversations. And I thought to myself, well, it would be the coolest thing to just read a book and see if the author would want to come on. And maybe once in a while that could happen. And more people said yes <laughs> than I ever imagined. Totally, right? All of a sudden I, I'm like, oh dear, now I have to do this work. <laughs> yeah, like I don't have, now I can't listen to podcasts anymore. I'm doing all this reading. <laughs> totally. I'll move over to page 110. And again, there's, for listeners to understand, this is 30 different meditations and they 
each contain several pages. When I go back over this book again, I'm going to go over it much, much slower than what I did to prepare for this conversation with Jonathan. But I'm just going to read some of the listing here, and I'll have this in the show notes so you can see what's listed. It starts off with your God, your body, your temple, why we're bad at loving others, humanity defined, finding Jesus in your mind. You are the center of God's attention, the three voices, three parts of your brain walk into a bar, and then part two of that, meeting the family, befriending the gatekeeper, your grown-up functional self, meeting your inner child, understanding your emotions, choosing to feel your feelings. All emotions are good. Grief as praise. And that's where I'll stop because that's what I'd like to, to talk about. But there's a whole bunch of things in here about feeling feelings and doing deeper work that requires us to think differently sometimes than we ever have thought about ourselves and our pain and our feelings. And there's also at the end of each meditation, which is at the end of each portion each day, audio and visual opportunities. Maybe you can explain how that works for someone who hasn't seen your book yet. So I think one of the things that we really need in this time are, are simple practices. You know, we've all read a ton of books and have a ton of head knowledge, but to just boil that down to what does it mean for me right now? Can you teach me how to put my hand on my heart and take deep breaths and actually connect with my emotional core and maybe actually feel the presence of God? Thank you. So each reading is accompanied by a short devotion, uh, no, sorry, a short meditation. And those guide the reader into how to experience these things and embody them for themselves. So since it can be quite difficult to read a meditation and, and sort of a prayer and participate in it at the same time as cognitively reading it for yourself, I recorded them all and and everybody's used to using Insight Timer or these other kind of meditation apps. And so mine are all up on my YouTube and there will be a full audiobook version. And, and I think I'm going to put them on Spotify as well once I'm ready for that. <laughs> so you can, you can listen in on, on YouTube to these meditations rather than kind of have to read them yourself. And that's also nice. Um, I was teaching a spiritual formation class to graduate students and we tried different spiritual practices. At the end of, it was kind of like a, a crunched in accelerated class. And we tried different ways of meditating. And these, these were people who were not really excited about this. <laughs> it was a little bit of a tough crowd. And so they're like, oh, what a waste of time, you know, uh, at first. And then we tried a guided meditation, something on YouTube, just about paying attention to your breath and calming down and getting into a slower rhythm. And everybody really appreciated the guided one more than trying to do it and handle it themselves and focus on yes. music or a candle or something. Just listening to someone else's voice to kind of cue them to the next thing was one less thing they had to think about disciplining their attention. And so sometimes that totally is this big help for certain people who I think um, I count myself in this too, are uh, dopamine addicted to either checking my phone or checking my social media. A lot of us are. <laughs> and that sometimes puts you over the hump yeah. to where you can 
draw your attention for extended time and push back on that dopamine cycle where I do those spiritual practices many times a day to make sure that I'm not giving my mind over in ways that I don't want to and making sure that I'm practicing the presence of God through the day. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about uh, feeling our feelings and we can actually pull from any part in the book. I was thinking about page 110, but there are several other places in here. Maybe you can pull from something that's Mm-hmm. most meaningful for you as you wrote it and talk about some of your journey about becoming able to feel your feelings. I'm one of those guys who has big emotions. I like I was not one of those guys who are kind of like a stoic man's man. I actually really struggled with masculinity and masculine formation because in the culture I grew up in in New Zealand it was you know very adventuresome and sport crazy and I wasn't that kind of guy. I was much more artistic and considered and and I like to read and stay inside. So it took me a while. I I felt for many years, I had these big emotions, but I didn't really know what they were and no one was helping me with them and no one told me what they meant. And it was really only a handful of years ago, I read this book called The Wisdom of Your Heart by my friend, a guy who I've become friends with, Mark Allen Shelsky. And there's the section in his book where he just provides definitions for what each of these emotions are. And it sounds so simple, but it boggled my mind. Like he said, happiness is what you feel when you get what you've been waiting for. Anger is the name of what we feel when we've been blocked or violated, or someone that we care for has been blocked or violated. Now, there's lots of different people who've come up with different lists of core emotions and slightly different textual definitions, but just to be told what they were and what they represented in me was huge. And especially, not, not least because I, I had battled anxiety and depression for a couple of years at this point. And in my particular case, to learn that, to really come to see, not just to learn intellectually, but to experience and observe. For much of my life, a lot of the depression, the really chronic depression that I was experiencing, in many ways, was unexpressed anger, a deep rage at numerous injustices that I had never been given permission to express. And so as I worked through that anger, what I found underneath the anger then was sadness, was grief, was (sighs) things that the ways I thought the world would work ways that I thought I would be cherished uh, had never manifested that way and other things had happened. And there was a part of my heart that was in pain and needed to express that pain and needed someone to say, those things that happened to you were wrong. The way you felt about them is the way you should feel about them. And so that was life-changing for me, to learn that, that emotions can be felt and then released, that I don't have to obey the dictates of my emotions. I don't have to do the things that my emotional brain tells me I must go and do right now, immediately, but that also I shouldn't be ignoring this part of me. Um, you'd mentioned page 110, and uh, there's a... 
there's a piece that I that really struck home for me. I, I, I wrote, a heart that feels sadness about pain and loss is a heart that is healthy. Sadness is the appropriate and right response to loss, just as anger is the appropriate and right response to violation. So when we can learn to feel those things, and we can start to move towards ourself in loving acceptance, start to give ourselves some of the gifts that we need, there's a really remarkable inner trust that can be built in, inside of our own person. As you began to feel some of those things, did you feel them, like kind of feel yourself cracking open? Did you feel overwhelmed by all of them? Maybe it's a little of everything, but how, what was it like to journey all the way through that? I'm thinking about the people out there who sense themselves in your story, but the fear of feeling all those things that have been pushed down or pushed aside is a little scary. Oh, for sure. Um, it's terrifying. It, it was terrifying. I was, I was very scared. So I, I, would, I would say right off the bat, two things to, to anybody, maybe three things, <laughs> three little sound bites. One, um, you, you're afraid for good reason. You, your body, your mind, your brain, your whole system, and it must survive. And so your body has come up with all kinds of ways to keep yourself alive. And often that's meant stuffing things down that were simply too overwhelming to comprehend. And so it's good that you are still here. It is good that you are alive. And so the fear of examining those things is not irrational. That's a really reasonable thing to be afraid of. So you can start with that by saying, you know what, if I'm afraid of dealing with this pain, it's because it's worth being afraid of. I'm not crazy. Then you can say, okay, well, I am going to need courage. Courage is what's going to get me to start looking at these things. I'm not going to lie to you. But I'll also say that uh, it's okay to move slowly and gently. At no point in this thing do I force anybody to like drudge up painful memories specifically. I'm like, no, no, no. This is, we're, we are not here to do a trust fall and make you re-traumatize yourself. I can't even watch that stuff on TV anymore, man. <laughs> like, it's horrifying. So I'm going to invite you to feel what's inside. And I'm, I'm going to hopefully teach you how you can lean into Jesus's presence right here, right now, to help you with the load, because his capacity is greater than ours. If Jesus hanging on the cross, who has just been rejected, okay, first of all, I mean, his own friends can't stay up and pray with him. He has been beaten and brutally whipped and tortured. He's now crucified, dying, hanging on the cross, experiencing some form of rejection from God. That's another whole topic, but at least in his reality, he's experiencing it. I think the same way we experience it. God doesn't move away, but we are blinded to the closeness. And all of sin is on him. The most agony, surely any, any human whether or not they're, they're also God, has ever experienced. And Jesus can still have the presence of mind to see his mother and care for her. 
that is a level of trauma capacity that I want to lean on. And so I think we can get there and I think we can, we're allowed to say, Jesus, I want to learn to feel what's inside. I want to feel these emotions, but I'm scared. Would you help me? Would you control the funnel? Help me just take these little, little sips until my capacity builds. And that's partly why we do breathing exercises and other things and grounding and so on, so that we do learn to increase our tolerance and our capacity. One of the things you said prior made me realize that um, sometimes there are certain groups or certain personality types that either feel they're not allowed to get angry. What you said was that depression, it was anger turned inward is often turned into depression and under that anger is sadness. And there's whole stratas of certain demographics of people. Um, sometimes women are not allowed to show anger as much as men are in public or wh- wherever else. And there are whole people groups too that will struggle with depression in certain ways because it's unacknowledged anger for themselves, but also in, in a society. And there are so many feelings that we all have as people. It would be it would be the really odd person, perhaps even the psychotic person who hasn't had buried feelings because they just aren't acquainted with feelings at all. But we all are going to be struggling one way or another with having at some points in our life too many feelings that are buried or that were unexplored or that were tamped down because it wasn't the right time to have them, that we have to go back and refeel. And I think that um in many ways, we feel isolated that, wow, I must be really a freak to, to have these fears and angers and, and sadness and depression. But that is actually the normal human experience. Totally. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. It's not the sick ones. And in other words, is what I'm saying. It's, it's like, this is part of how we form spiritually is becoming aware that this whole mess is normal. Yes. Amen. Absolutely. But it, take, it takes time, right? And I think the thing too that, that I found was so transforming for me and my own journey with these things was that after you know a few weeks of really intentional time and daily meditation and contemplative practice and feeling my emotions and not trying to judge them and cast them out, like I used to try and cast my emotions out like demons. You know, I was like, I take this this feeling of loneliness captive, and I send it to the cross. And one day my whole body reacted. And it was like, my heart was like, you are telling me that you want to feel everything. But when I offer up my most vulnerable things to you, you rebuke me. And it was very, it was a very shocking experience. But, but more shocking was a few weeks after that, as I was coming to a much more consistent place of peace, that what I found bubbling out from inside of me was God. And it was like I, I met God inside of me. And I was kind of like, God, I did not expect to find you in here. And it felt like the divine response was like, but I made you in my image. I'm the template that you're built on. Of course you would find me in here if you were brave enough to look. And that was just shocking to me. 
and was so redemptive and gave me such hope. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean when you came to the realization or a sense of presence or was it an experiential sense about God within? So depending on your own journey, you may have given been given different frameworks for how to sense the presence of God. I try to present throughout the book a, a quite simple kind of... I guess leaning a little bit on the Celtic traditions and and, and some in, in North American indigenous traditions, the idea that really that the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, that you can encounter God through everything. And so my invitation early on to the reader is to quiet themselves down, pay attention to their surroundings, start to mentally consider the idea that God holds all things together and is closer to us in our breath. I just mean that like literally, like like that God holds all the atoms together and that if it wasn't for God, we would just cease to, we would just float away. And then if we can even start to mentally imagine what it might feel like to sense that loving goodness holding things together, often what seems to happen for people is that they actually do start to experience it. That God is is just waiting to be detected, right? It's, it's like he, he's like the worst kept secret. In, in creation, that he just longs to be found by his children. And I, and I use the term his uh, because it's what's familiar to me. But in, in the book, you'll notice I, I degender it just because I don't want that to be a stumbling block. And so if you need to connect with the divine feminine, that's fine. Go ahead. So what did that look like for me? I sense, I sense typically um, the divine in a number of ways. On occasion, I will experience it on my skin. I will experience like a, a like a goosebump, shivery kind of feeling. That's less common. Sometimes I will experience the full range of you know of the charismatic kind of spiritual manifestations. But far more common is an inner peace, a deep, settled goodness that seems to wrap itself around certain words and certain feelings that I know have a generosity and an expansiveness that's simply not me. And so I think that particular day where I encountered kind of God within, as it were, I had been laying on the couch where I'd sort of been doing all of my meditative time. And I had I had, had a, a really lonely day, I think the day before, and had been practicing just feeling that loneliness and, and speaking over myself that I was here for me, that I wasn't going to run away, that I wasn't going to numb, you know, with anything. And just letting that, that sadness and that loneliness flow through my heart. And I, and I remember just being racked for half an hour by just the most deepest sobs of, of grief and sadness. And so this, again, was a day or two after that and laying on the couch and suddenly feeling this deep, deep peace. And then I actually began to feel, and I don't want to scare the reader off, but this was so precious, I must share it. If you've ever just laid on the beach and your legs are like halfway into the waves and, and the waves just kind of wash up your body and, and back down, it's exactly what I felt. 
laying on my couch. And it was the closest thing to a physical sensation without being necessarily strictly a physical sensation. And it was like God himself was there to tend to my wounds and to care for me. And I'm reminded of the psalmist. He makes me lie down beside still waters. He restores my soul. And I just sort of said, God, is that you? I I just, I feel loved. I feel cared for. And what came in response, you know, was the sense of, yeah, of course, it's me. I'm right here. I've always been right here. I've just been waiting for you to find me right here. And I do see even in scripture, so many parallels, even in the words of Jesus, right? Tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it. That, that our whole framework on God, we're so much more, our assumption is that he's so far away. And he's always subverting that reality and saying, I'm right here, right here, right here, right now. Anything that you'd like to bring out in the book or something that you'd like to leave with listeners so that they can have something to look forward to as they read the book? I think you, you'll appreciate this as someone you know, who has put time into these kinds of contemplative practices. It's a muscle that you have to grow. You know, we live in a world that is busy and saturated, like you touched on dopamine addiction. And, you know, we are so manically addicted to these phones. And it takes conscious effort and energy to disconnect from those things, to put some boundaries in place, to slow down, and to tune in. But when you do, you get better at it. And I'm far from perfect. And I, and I, I mean, COVID was it terrible. And, and when we were in lockdown earlier this year, and, and as of today, my province of Ontario has the highest cases it's had since the beginning. So we may be headed back to lockdown. I don't know. And I'm trying to not freak out, but I'm also trying to tell myself, Jonathan, we didn't think we could survive March. And here we are. These are muscles that grow. There is healing for trauma. The things that have been so triggering for us in the past don't have to always be triggering for us in the future. There's healing. There's hope. There are new skills that we can learn. And we can come to wholeness. And we can come to feel and know and live in the groundedness that comes from knowing uh, that we are God's beloved that that, in the words of Henry Nouwen, is the core reality of our existence. So that would be my hope for readers, is that they uh, would find this a balm and a practical tool to set about living that kind of life. Wonderful. Where can people find you online and find your book? You'll find me on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Jonathan Puddle. You'll also find me at jonathanpuddle.com. My blog is there, the, my podcast, The Podcast, as you said earlier. It's on iTunes, obviously, and anywhere else you get podcasts. And uh, the book's on Amazon and 
uh, Apple Books and all the other places, paperback and ebook, and it should be in the next few months available in an audiobook as well. Well, you're definitely a kindred spirit, and I'm glad that we've been able to connect people like you and other people I've met putting out wonderful things that help us all along on the journey. So thank you so much for your work. Thank you, Lisa. It's an honor. And I feel the same way about you. It was such an honor to get that uh, message from you and say, hey, let's connect because I've been blessed by your spirit and your work. So thank you. To join the book club, go to sparkmymuse.com and click the tab for book club. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse and join as a patron to get all the information. 